0: Christian life. We say I want to know God's ways and I want to know who this God is that you're speaking of, but how do I know him? How do I know this love that you're speaking of? How do I know this grace you're speaking of? How do I know and experience this mercy you're speaking of? How do I know this compassion and all of these many things that you keep talking about? Well, for just a few moments, go and spend time in the, the, the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, and you'll get to know this God that I'm speaking of. Hike through the mountains and the deserts of the Holy Land with Israel, and you'll find just for a few moments this God that we're speaking of. Listen to David play his harp, and listen to the words of his songs that he sang in the book of Psalms. Sit at the foot of Solomon's throne as he proclaimed wisdom, and he gained from God. Behold, the three Hebrew men who stood up for God and refused to bow down to the king's idols. Enter into the lion's den where Daniel was thrown for praying to the Lord. Stand next to Elisha as the Lord sent a whirlwind to carry Elijah to heaven. Watch our Lord through the New Testament heal the sick and feed thousands with a little boy's lunch. See Peter get out of the boat and walk on the water toward his Savior. Stand next to the tomb of Lazarus and watch him walk out of that tomb alive after Jesus called him forth. Witness our Lord unjustly being tried and beaten and mocked and ridiculed and hear the crowd screaming for him to be crucified. And see that Roman soldier nail him to the cross. And while he shed his blood and left that that that, that face and body and red puddles below his feet, listen to the words of the angel and those around as they said he is not here for he is risen get into the word and you'll find this god that we're speaking of get into the word and you'll experience that grace we're speaking of get into the word and you'll experience that mercy we're talking about get into the word and the love and the compassion and all of the many attributes of our god you say i want to know him then it's time to get into this book It's time to stop treating the house of God as your daily and weekly feed and then you don't get back into the book at all. It's time that we as Christians start saying, if I want my heart to burn for the things of God, then I need to know this God that I'm speaking of. And Far too many of us, if we're not careful, we like to come to the house of God and get stirred up for a day and then get back to our childish and wicked worldly ways as we go through Monday through Saturday. We like to proclaim that we're a Christian and we like the Christian values and we like the Christian things. But as far as living for Christ and being wholly given to Christ and having a heart that's on fire for Christ, I'll take it or leave it. Can I share with you that your life, as you begin to think about your life being promised tomorrow, it is not. A man and his wife had gotten into an argument. As the man went to work that day, he began to talk to some of his co workers about the, the the fight that he had gotten into with his wife, and he, the, one of the coworkers just very simply asked him, Well, what you gonna do about it? He said, Oh, well, this happens all the time, so when I get home, I'll just I'll just fix it when I get home. He said, Oh, you think you're gonna you, you think that you're gonna be able to do that, huh? He said, Oh yeah, I always fix it when I get home. He said, No, 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 no. You think you're gonna make it home? See, we live in our we live our lives with a lot of assumptions. We live our lives in, in many ways where we think that we get to control the narrative of our lives and we get to choose what God's going to do here. And if we like it, we'll do it. If we don't like it, we'll tell God that he needs to get on our plans. That's not how it works. You see, at the end of our lives, I truly believe that many of us that are even sitting in this auditorium and many people across this nation, that we're going to look back on our lives and we're going to wish that we had done more for Christ. I believe that's the testimony of every single one of us this, this morning. Now, we're going to look back at our lives and say, I wish, I wish that I had sold out sooner and I wish that I had just said yes to God's will because I missed so much. I believe for many of us, if we're not careful, we're going to look back in our lives and we're going to get to a place where we look back and say, I wish I would have cut these things out of my life and I wish I would have placed a priority in my life concerning this and this and this and, and gotten rid of this and said, Lord, I'm wholly given to you. It's an amazing thing to get to know your Lord and Savior. As a matter of fact, Niram Judson understood this, and this is an individual, as you study his life, you'll find he had a burning heart for the Lord. This man went to Burma as a missionary, and this was, this was a difficult time in his life, because as a matter of fact, as you go and you study his life, he didn't get to baptize his first convert until six years later, being a missionary on that mission field. As you go and you study his life, you'll find that after his passing, that Burma had 63 churches, 163 missionaries, and 7,000 baptized converts that accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. A man who for six years at any point in time, we would have said, Hey, and you haven't seen someone get saved? I'd quit. Hey, come back and go to a different mission field. But now he's stuck with it. His heart burned for the things of God, and he began to reach some people and a lasting impact on the Burmese people. You see, a heart for the Lord is one that, that is a rare thing. I've said it time and time, I believe it to be true, that that as you begin to think in, about enthusiasm, enthusiasm wears off on you. It kind of rubs off and you begin to, to get enthusiastic about things and you don't even really know why you're enthusiastic about it. But as you begin to think about Christians, sometimes as you enter into their presence and you just say, man, that person is a happy Christian. The longer that you're in their presence, the the more that you begin to ask yourself, why am I not like that? Yesterday we were uh, just talking, a few of us, uh, as we were standing around and we were talking about different subject matters. And as you begin to think about discouragement, you begin to think about depression, you begin to think about uh, gratefulness and thankfulness. It is a study that has been done that as you begin to really dig a little deeper, the hormone for thankfulness and the hormone for depression cannot coexist together. And so when you get depressed and when you get discouraged and when you get to a place where you're just down and you're trying to be thankful, if you choose to be thankful, you'll always deal with your discouragement, and your depression. And as you get into the word of God and you really recognize just how grateful you ought to be, because if we're all being honest this morning, we don't deserve the grace that we find in this book right here. Not a single one of us deserves salvation not a single one of us deserves the mercy that we've been able to experience by the Lord Jesus Christ. Not a single one of us deserves the the blessings of God upon our lives. And this morning, you might have walked the doors of the church and you say, God has never done a single thing for me. I beg to differ. Because the greatest thing that's ever been accomplished was a man going on a cross And dying for your sin and my sin, and providing a way to spend eternity in heaven. And his name was Jesus. That's the greatest thing that anyone could have ever done, and your God did that for you. As you come to the Word of God, you begin to think about a burning heart. The Bible tells us about some characteristics concerning this burning heart in Psalm 119, verse 10 With my whole heart have I sought thee. You want a burning heart? Get into the Word. Psalm 119, verse 34, give me understanding. I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Psalm 119, verse 69, the proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do thy will. Oh, my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. You see, there are going to be those who are going to be skeptics. There are going to be those who are going to ridicule you. And there are going to be those who are going to tell you, oh, that's just a bunch of hoba. And there are going to be those that are going to mock you. And there are going to be those who are going to make fun of you. And there are going to be those that say, you're wasting your time. And that's going to continue. The Word of God says this concerning all of that. In Psalm 119, verse 160, Thy word is true from the beginning. Every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Psalm 119 verse 138, Thy testimonies that thou hast commanded are righteous and very faithful. Proverbs 35, every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Second, Timothy 316, all scripture, not some, not occasional, all scripture. And as you come to the Word of God, you begin to dig deeper into the Word of God. All of a sudden, the Word of God will begin to put things into perspective. It'll begin to change your life and transform your life. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, you have a burning heart for the things of God, the Word of God, the will of God. And you'll find yourself saying, I want to know this God in a deeper way. I wonder if that's the desire of your heart tonight or this morning. Do you even want to know your God? You say, oh, I've got my salvation settled. That's enough. No, 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 it's not. I didn't put a ring on her finger to say, all right, I got her. That should satisfy. That's enough, right? No, 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 no. She wants me to get to know her, and she ought to get to know me. The more that we are together, the more that we enjoy being together, unless it's 95 degrees out and we're having to put a car seat in the van. Then we can't stand to be around each other. And if you've ever done that in the summer, you know what I'm talking about. We were joking the other day and about uh, arguments go up to about 85% during the summer when you're having a fool with a car seat. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And they've just made them worse and worse. Ratchet straps do, you know I'm just saying. As you begin to think about knowing your God, I want to ask you that question. Do you even, do you even desire to? You see, I can't answer that question for you. A husband can't answer that question for her wife for his wife. A wife can't answer that question for her husband. A parent can't answer that question for their children. No, no, no. See, every single one of us this morning, we have to ask ourselves this question. Do we desire to know our God? As you walk through Scripture, you see in chapter number 3 of the book of Daniel some decisions that are being made. As a matter of fact, in chapter number 1, you're introduced to Daniel and you're introduced to some things that begin to take place and they're found ten times better. There's some decisions that are made. There's a consecration that is made. There's a, a humbling to themselves and they say, God Almighty deserves all of our worship. King Nebuchadnezzar, you desire zero. There are some decisions that were made. And as we look at them, we say, man, I admire all that. And I admire their their heart for the things of God. But here's the difference maker. They knew their God. When you know someone, you're a lot more prone to do things for them, to worship the Lord, to serve the Lord. Why? Because you realize he's worthy of it. When you don't know why your God is good, you keep hearing it, but you don't know why your God is good. You keep asking the question, why? Why? When you don't get in the word and get excited about the word and, 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 and you hear people talk about how great that book of the Bible is and how great that pastor scripture, you're asking the question, why? Because you yourself have not gotten in the book. When you are uh, listening to people praise the Lord and rejoice and answers to prayer, you're asking the question, why? Because you yourself have not gotten in the prayer closet and spent time with the Lord. Why would Daniel go and open his windows to Jerusalem when he was told not to? Because he had seen that God had already been answering the many prayers that he had offered unto a holy God. So why wouldn't he? He had seen that as he got along with God, he had spent that sweet communion with the Lord, and the Lord began to deal with him in a great way within his life. So why wouldn't he continue to do so? And so it all boils down to this. If you've answered the question that's been asked, do you even desire to know your God? And you might this very moment say, you know what? I, I don't know that I do. Then bank on this. Your heart will never burn for him. it will never burn for the things of God. It'll never be a desire of yours to be wholly given to God. If you don't desire to know your God, you'll never live for God fully. Oh, but the moment you come to the end of yourself, and you say, oh, Lord, I don't deserve any of this. I don't deserve these blessings. I don't deserve a God... Who, as we made reference to, as you get to know him and you go and you witness him being unjustly tried and beaten and ridiculed and mocked and scorned, screaming at him to be crucified. And you hear that Roman soldier as he nails Him to a cross and he begins to shed his blood for his, us. And he goes to the cross. He dies on the cross. He's buried in the tomb and he's risen. As they say, he is not here for he is. risen. You'll never desire to know that God. If you don't get into his word and say, Lord, I want to live for you. I want to do these things. You'll never live for him. The sad reality is many Christians say that well, I'm fine with that. Well, I'm here this morning and I'm saying I'm not just satisfied with just living for the Lord occasionally. I'm not satisfied with meeting together and saying, oh, well, it's it's been fun, but, you know, it was a good service and you almost persuaded me. The Word of God, yeah, you know, I've got, I've got this Bible, and I love this Bible, but, you know, Oh get in the book. You see, as you get in the Word of God and you begin to have a heart that burns for the Lord, you'll have a concern for souls. You'll desire to commit to the will of God. You'll desire to consecrate your, Lord, your lives to the godly living that the Word of God deals with. You'll desire to seek to encourage others. You'll desire to strengthen your faith in the Lord through His Word. And so as you come to chapter number three, back up to chapter number one for just a moment, because we love to talk about this book of the Bible. And as a matter of fact, we love to talk about everything that's going on. But we have to come to the realization that their hearts burned within them. A heart that burns for God is wholly given to God. It's wholly given to his word. It's wholly given to the will of God and the word of God and the ways of God and the people of God and the fellowship and all of those many things and sharing the gospel. And so notice for just a few moments as you back up to chapter one, you see a foundation that is being laid. You see a people that 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 Nebuchadnezzar is seeking after. In chapter number one, verse number four, the Bible says children in whom was no blemish. That word no blemish speaks of no defects, if you would. They were they were they were pleasant to look upon. They didn't have any problems in their physical appearance, they were well favored. Speaking of good looking and skillful, in all wisdom, they were smart and cunning in knowledge. They didn't have any uh, education deficiency. They were well educated. They understood science. They they begin to understand these things in a greater way. And such as had the ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And so, this is who he's after. He wants the best of the best, and who wouldn't? And many of us, if we're not careful, you might be the most talented person in this room this morning. Now, you might have some, some great gifts that the Lord has blessed you with. But none of that matters if you're yielding it to the world and not to God Almighty this morning. You see, God has given many of us great talents, and those talents are not for us to use for our own pleasure and for our own glory. But they're supposed to be used for the Lord. And given to the Lord. And Daniel, and these young men we're going to deal with understood this. And as a matter of fact, in verse number 8, the Bible tells us that Daniel purposed in his heart. That speaks of being determined. It's being fixed, if you would. And as you understand what is taking place in chapter 1, and you understand the individuals that Nebuchadnezzar is seeking after, you begin to understand that as he has exalted some of them in higher positions and promoted them, that as you come to chapter number 3, there is a little bit of frustration. Because there is this idea sometimes that as I promote you, you do as I say. But these boys understood, hey, King Nebuchadnezzar, you may be a king right this moment. But there is a king of kings that is much greater than you. There is a Lord of lords that is much greater than you. And what you say only limited to right here. Because we answer to a greater king. And they began to acknowledge this. And so King Nebuchadnezzar begins to get frustrated about this. There's a man by the name of Richard Wormbrand. Richard Wurmbrand, many of you have heard his testimony and you've read his book. And The book is titled Tortured for Christ. And if any of us in this auditorium this morning, I believe, were to go through what Richard Wurmbrand and many of his uh, family members had gone through, we would have stopped serving and worshiping God. Richard Wurmbrand was an individual who was trying to continue preaching the gospel. And as he was preaching the gospel, he went and as you begin to study his life, he had been in prison many, many times. He had been beaten many times. As a matter of fact, his wife would go on and get raped and she would get thrown on the side of the road and she'd get tossed into a river to be left for dead. As there was an individual that helped their son, their son would be beaten. And the lady that was helping their son would be beaten and kicked and and, and her head bashed in and all of these many things. And towards the end of him being in prison, he had got out of prison and then he went back to preaching the gospel, got thrown back into prison. Because his heart burned for Christ. The guards walk in one day and they begin to beat him. The man who was the headmaster of the jail walked up and began to talk to him and said, we will stop beating you if you stop preaching this Jesus. Many of you know what his answer was. He said, I'll stop preaching Jesus never. So let's make a deal. I preach Jesus and you beat me. And so that's what he did. There came a day finally whenever he was released from jail, but his entire time in jail, he would preach Jesus and then he'd get beaten. I believe right then and there, we'd have thrown in the towel and said it's not worth it any longer. I can't wait to spend just a few moments talking to Richard Wormbrand for just a few minutes and say, why'd you keep going? Did it did it hurt? Uh, What was it? I believe he would look at me and he'd very simply just say, listen, when you get to know the God of this book, there's nothing that he's not worth going through. Whether it is a trial, whether it is a tribulation, whether it is mocking, whether it is a struggle, whether it is being ridiculed or beaten or or stripped naked or your, your family being beaten, there's nothing he's not worth. And so as you come to chapter number three, notice what is taking place. Because the king is making an image, if you would, that would be worshipped. And this image was uh, an image that would be worshipped, and there was a special effect, if you would, on these types of things. He understood how to get the people's attention, and so there was a specific moment when the music would begin, and as that music would begin, it was a specific type of music, and he understood how powerful music was and how it would draw us to worship certain things. If you begin to listen to different types of music, you are aware of this, that as an individual begins to listen to heavy metal music, all of a sudden they begin to to move their head back and forth and they begin to, to act a certain way. As you begin to listen to rap music, you begin to walk a certain way and talk a certain way and live a certain way. Why? Because it affects you. As you begin to listen to country music, as you begin to listen to gospel music, as you begin to sing the hymns, all of music plays a serious role in our lives. Well, Nebuchadnezzar understood this and he understood what it meant to do with music and how the role of music would have an effect on the people. And so as the music would begin in this moment, they would fall down and begin to worship this idol. There was a golden image and they understood what was being asked of them. Many of you are familiar, so let's just fast forward for just a moment. Verse number 12, the Bible says, there are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Imagine this for just a moment. King Nebuchadnezzar is who they're referencing to. As they make the statement in verse number 12, imagine for just a few moments as you are sitting there and you're the king and there are certain Jews, notice these next words, whom thou hast set. Hey, King Nebuchadnezzar, you did this. These guys, they're your problem, not mine. You have done this. And so all of a sudden, you know how this is. Pride perks up. Imagine for just a few moments being a CEO of a company and being a manager. And all of a sudden, you give that individual a promotion. And, and immediately, that individual begins to make poor decision and begins to put the company in jeopardy of being shut down. And someone marches into your office and they say, hey, the individual that you just promoted, they're running this, con- uh, this, this corporation into the ground. So all of a sudden, your pride peaks up. You, what are you saying the person I promoted for? Oh, like it's my fault. Like I, would, like I knew that he would do this. But it doesn't matter. You see, in verse number 12, as they make this statement, you can imagine the pride peeking up in his life as they say there are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now, if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made. Well, but if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Because who is at that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with burning hearts, I imagine, answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. I love this story as the you begin to think about the 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 way in which they're interacting. The way in which they're answering the king is they make these statements such as, We are very careful if you would. And as the questions are being asked, and they say, We are not careful to answer thee in this matter, if it be so. Let's just say for just a few moments, if it be so. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. He is, and He will deliver us out of thine hand, O King. Okay? And those, those gods that you were wanting us to worship, we're not going to worship those gods. As a matter of fact, our heart is so given to God that we're willing to die before we worship your gods. Oh, we're willing to, to, to go in this burning fiery furnace where we're gonna count on our God, who is able to deliver us, but if not, But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. A burning heart. A burning heart. As you begin to think about this burning heart this morning, as you begin to think about these individuals, you begin to notice in these short verses from verse 12 on verse verse number 18, five things that I'm just going to pass along to you. I'm not even going to preach through them. You notice, number one, their commitment to God Almighty as you begin to understand what is being said to them. And they say, it does not matter what King Nebuchadnezzar says because we worship and serve a greater God. There is a king that King Nebuchadnezzar, you yourself will have to give an answer to. So all those gods and all those idols and all that monument you want us to worship, we will not. As a matter of fact, These individuals, mind you, that were found ten times better. These are the best of the best. They understand that King Nebuchadnezzar needs them more than they need him. And they've already found a greater king in their lives. You notice their commitment. In verse number 17, you notice their character. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from a, the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. Can I share with you the character that a Christian lives and portrays in this world is so important. And character has been defined not by who the world sees you as, but who you are when no one else is around. And I wonder this morning, right at this very moment, you can walk in the doors of the church and you can put on the smile and you can even stand in the choir. You can serve in a ministry and you can take up the offering. You can do name whatever area of service that might look good to all of us. The word of God reminds us that God doesn't look on the outward. He looks on the heart. Who are you? Who are you? As you begin to think about that question right there, who are you? I love in certain passages of scripture where a command or a question is posed. Choose ye this day whom ye will serve. I love that. I love Amos calling out the, 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 the corruption that was taking place in the leadership. I love as you go to Nehemiah and Nehemiah's enemies are trying to get him to come down. And he just kind of looks at him and says, why should I come down to you? You're worthless and I'm serving a great God. I've got a great work. Why am I going to waste my time with you? I love as you walk through and you think about Paul as he is going through and he is calling out the the the, the 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 incorrect doctrines that are being preached. And I love Peter and his enthusiasm and his zeal. And I love studying those things. And as you come to this portion of Scripture and they say, but if not, be it known unto thee. I imagine for this moment as they're standing there and you begin to see their character, their character is being revealed in the public, but it was developed in the private. And as they began to develop their personal walk with the Lord in private, all of a sudden the public eye is seeing these things and they look at the the, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, with all the boldness within them and they say, hey, these gods you want us to worship, we're not. You can like it, you can hate it, it doesn't matter. We're not. Doesn't matter what you think. Doesn't matter what you say. We're going to walk in this burning fiery furnace. If God, if God to save us, He save us. If He doesn't, it doesn't matter. You're losing us. We don't need you. You need us. We found ours. We've got a great king. We don't need you. Number three, notice their conviction. This is one of the things that's missing in many Christians' lives. Conviction. We don't have conviction anymore. Our cheeks don't blush anymore over sin. Uh, you'll be having a conversation. And this is what is in many of our lips, mine included. We all often say, I'm not shocked anymore. We're also not offended anymore. We're not upset anymore. We're not discouraged anymore about this. We're not, our hearts do not break over sin anymore. You see, our, our culture and our society has began to make sin so prevalent in our lives. And many of the churches in America have welcomed sin into the church that now we almost as though we treat sin as, well, we just got to live with it. Now it's here. No. Joshua's sin was being uh, present in his day and age. And Paul, when sin was present in his day and age, and when others, as you study the scriptures, they didn't say, well, we just got to live with it. No, he said, choose you this day. What are you going to do? And so we ask the question again, who are you? Number four, not only do we see their conviction, but we see their consecration. In verse number 18, but if not, be it known unto thee, O King, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Their consecration. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy. As you think about those words and you sing those words of that precious song, I wonder for many of us, how true is that? Number five, we close with this this morning. In verse number 19 on down, notice their courage. The Bible says, then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury. The form of his vices was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was won't. To be heated, and he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hose and their hats, their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Have you gathered the fact that it's a burning fiery furnace yet? Then these men were bound in their coats. Verse number twenty-two. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now notice that. Don't miss that there. The men that were throwing them in slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished rose up in haste, spake and sent unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? answer said, And the king, true, O king, he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose. I love this. Imagine for just a few moments, the burning fiery furnace is ahead. King Nebuchadnezzar says, All right, get it ready. As he's sitting there, he, he's just watching everything. He sees the man that he had told to put those men into the burning, fiery furnace. He sees them dying. Now those three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are now into that, and they're fallen. I imagine it as he is sitting there, he is sitting there with great pleasure thinking, ha, you won't mock me. And then all of a sudden, to his own surprise, read these verses one more time with me. Verse number 23. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up. So imagine for a moment he's sitting there. He goes. Did we not just stick three in there? Yeah, that's, that's true. I see four. I see four. I imagine he's just taken by surprise. And the Bible tells us in verse number 25, and he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no her, And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. And then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fire furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the most high God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth in the midst of the fire and the princes, governors, and captors, and the king's counselors being gathered together, saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was a hair on their head singed neither were their coats changed or the smell of the fire had passed on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Can I share with you, even King Nebuchadnezzar couldn't withstand watching three individuals with a heart that was burning for God reveal that what they had been worshiping in private was now being seen in public and it had rubbed off. In this portion of Scripture, notice what it says. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God. Can I share with you this morning? You want to change this nation? You want to watch God flip this world upside down by just using a few Christians? You want to be the one individual that God sends into the workplace and all of a sudden people start getting saved? You want to be the person that all of a sudden God begins to transform their life and people are being, being encouraged and blessed and they're watching you live faithfully to the Lord and your heart is burning for God. And you're saying, is there any purpose? And you find the purpose is found in Him. You'll find it as you get to know this God. You take this God that you're worshiping in private out into the public, and you say, there is a reason, and his name is Jesus. This morning, I share this, and I haven't asked. If she gets upset with me, then I do apologize beforehand. There's a lady in our midst right this very moment who has been one of the biggest encouragements over the last month, and we had a conversation just the other day. Walked into an evening school, of the Bible sat there, had a lot of questions and was wanting to learn more and more about the word of God. All of a sudden, the Lord began to work in her heart and she began to come to more ministries and began to come to Wednesday evening services and Sunday services and Friday night services. And all of a sudden began to to say the Lord was working in her life and she understood this and wanted to serve the Lord and worship the Lord. And was this was real. And brought a guest with her today. A visitor. Why? Because the God that she's been hearing about on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Fridays, Sundays, she's decided she wants to get to know in a personal regard, and she can't help but talk about the things she has seen and heard. Can I share with you, church? It's time that we get a heart that burns for God, and we can't help but talk about our God. I believe every single one of us this morning, if we were to ask the question, is he worthy, I believe every hand would go up. But here's the greater question. Do you want to know your God? Lord, we do thank you this morning. Lord, I pray that you would help us, guide us and direct us. Lord, help us to be like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, Lord, individuals who sold out to God his will and his work. I pray that you'd help us now be with this invitation. Help us, Lord, to fall on our face and surrender our all to you. Help us have burning hearts for you, for it's in Jesus name we do pray.